Section five of the Morals, Volume One. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Morals, Volume One, by Plutarch, translated by several hands, corrected and revised by William W. Goodwin concerning the cure of anger a dialogue part one scylla fundanus those painters o fundanus in my opinion do very wisely who never finish any piece at the first sitting but take a review of it at some convenient distance of time because the eye being relieved for a time renews its power by making frequent and fresh judgments and becomes able to observe many small and critical differences which continual pouring and familiarity would prevent it from noticing now because it cannot be that a man should stand off from himself and interrupt his consciousness and then after some interval return to accost himself again which is one principal reason why a man is a worse judge of himself than of other men the next best course that a man can take will be to inspect his friends after some time of absence and also to offer himself to their examination not to see whether he be grown old on the sudden or whether the habit of his body be become better or worse than it was before but that they may take notice of his manner and behavior whether in that time he hath made any advance in goodness or gained ground of his vices wherefore being after two years absence returned to rome and having since conversed with thee here again for these five months i think it no great matter of wonder that those good qualities which by the advantage of a good natural disposition you were formerly possessed of have in this time received so considerable an increase but truly when i behold how that vehement and fiery disposition which you had to anger is now through the conduct of reason become so gentle and tractable my mind prompts me to say with homer o wonder how much gentler is he grown nor hath this gentleness produced in thee any laziness or irresolution but like cultivation in the earth it hath caused an evenness and a profundity very effectual unto fruitful action instead of thy former vehemency and over-eagerness and therefore it is evident that thy former proneness to anger hath not been withered in thee by any decay of vigour which age might have effected or spontaneously but that it hath been cured by making use of some mollifying precepts and indeed to tell you the truth when i heard our friend eros say the same thing i had a suspicion that he did not report the thing as it was but that out of mere good will he testified those things of you which ought to be found in every good and virtuous man and yet 
you know he cannot be easily induced to depart from what he judges to be true in order to favor any man but now truly as i acquit him of having therein made any false report of thee so i desire thee being now at leisure from thy journey to declare unto us the means and as it were the medicine by use whereof thou hast brought thy mind to be thus manageable and natural thus gentle and obedient unto reason fundanus but in the meanwhile o most kind scylla you had best beware lest you also through affection and friendship may be somewhat careless in making an estimate of my affairs for eris having himself also a mind oft-times unable to keep its ground and to contain itself within that obedience which homer mentions but subject to be exasperated through an hatred of men's wickedness may perhaps think i am grown more mild just as in music when the key is changed that note which before was the bass becomes a higher note with respect to others which are now below it scylla neither of these is so fundanus but i pray you gratify us all by granting the request i made this then o scylla is one of those excellent rules given by musonius which i bear in memory that those who would be in sound health must physic themselves all their lives now i do not think that reason cures like hellebore by purging out itself together with the disease it cures but by keeping possession of the soul and so governing and guarding its judgments for the power of reason is not like drugs but like wholesome food and with the assistance of a good natural disposition it produceth a healthful constitution in all with whom it hath become familiar and as for those good exhortations and admonitions which are applied to passions while they swell and are at their height they work but slowly and with small success and they differ in nothing from those strong smelling things which indeed do serve to put those that have the falling sickness upon their legs again after they are fallen but are not able to remove the disease for whereas other passions even when they are in their rough and acme do in some sort yield and admit reason into the soul which comes to help it from without anger does not as melanthius says displace the mind and then act dismal things but it absolutely turns the mind out of doors and bolts the door against it and like those who burn their houses and themselves within them it makes all things within full of confusion smoke and noise so that the soul can neither see nor hear anything that might relieve it wherefore sooner will an empty ship in a storm at sea admit of a pilot from without than a man tossed with anger and rage listen to the advice of another unless he have his own reason first prepared to entertain it 
but as those who expect to be besieged are wont to gather together and lay in provisions of such things as they are like to need not trusting to hopes of relief from without so ought it to be our special concern to fetch in from philosophy such foreign helps as it affords against anger and to store them up in the soul beforehand seeing that it will not be so easy a matter to provide ourselves when the time is come for using them for either the soul cannot hear what is spoken without by reason of the tumult unless it have its own reason like the director of the rowers in a ship ready to entertain and understand whatsoever precept shall be given or if it do chance to hear yet will it be ready to despise what is patiently and mildly offered and to be exasperated by what shall be pressed upon it with more vehemency for since wrath is proud and self-conceited and utterly averse from compliance with others like a fortified and guarded tyranny that which is to overthrow it must be bred within it and be of its own household now the continuance of anger and frequent fits of it produce an evil habit in the soul called wrathfulness or a propensity to be angry which oft-times ends in choleric temper bitterness and moroseness then the mind becomes ulcerated peevish and querulous and like a thin weak plate of iron receives impression and is wounded by even the least occurrence but when the judgment presently seizes upon wrathful ebullitions and suppresses them it not only works a cure for the present but renders the soul firm and not so liable to such impressions for the future and truly when i myself had twice or thrice made a resolute resistance unto anger the like befell me that did the thebans who having once foiled the lacedaemonians that before that time had held themselves invincible never after lost so much as one battle which they fought against them for i became fully assured in my mind that anger might be overcome by the use of reason and i perceived that it might not only be quieted by the sprinkling of cold water as aristotle relates but also be extinguished by putting one into a fright yea according to homer many men have had their anger melted and dissipated by sudden surprise of joy so that i came to this firm resolution that this passion is not altogether incurable to such as are but willing to be cured since the beginnings and occasions of it are not always great or forcible but a scoff or a jest or the laughing at one or a nod only or some other matter of no great importance will put many men into a passion thus helen by addressing her niece in the words beginning o my electra now a virgin stale provoked her to make this nipping return thou art wise too late thou shouldst have kept at home 
and so did callisthenes provoke alexander by saying when the great bowl was going round i will not drink so deep in honor of alexander as to make work for aesculapius as therefore it is an easy matter to stop the fire that is kindled only in hare's wool candlewick or a little chaff but if it have once taken hold of matter that hath solidity and thickness it soon inflames and consumes as aeschylus says with youthful vigor the carpenter's lofty work so he that observes anger while it is in its beginning and sees it by degrees smoking and taking fire from some speech or chaff-like scurrility need take no great pains to extinguish it but oftentimes can put an end to it only by silence or neglect for as he that adds no fuel to the fire hath already as good as put it out so he that doth not feed anger at the first nor blow the fire in himself hath prevented and destroyed it wherefore hieronymus although he taught many other useful things yet hath given me no satisfaction in saying that anger is not perceptible in its birth by reason of its suddenness but only after its birth and while it lives for there is no other passion while it is gathering and stirring up which hath its rise and increase so conspicuous and observable this is very skilfully taught by homer by making achilles suddenly surprised with grief as soon as ever the word fell on his ear saying of him this said a sable cloud of grief covered him o'er but making agamemnon grow angry slowly and need many words to inflame him so that if these had been stopped and forbidden when they began the contest had never grown to that degree and greatness which it did wherefore socrates as oft as he perceived any fierceness of spirit to rise within him towards any of his friends setting himself like a promontory to break the waves would speak with a lower voice bear a smiling countenance and look with a more gentle eye and thus by bending the other way and moving contrary to the passion he kept himself from falling or being worsted for the first way my friend to suppress anger as you would a tyrant is not to obey or yield to it when it commands us to speak high to look fiercely and to beat ourselves but to be quiet and not increase the passion as we do a disease by impatient tossing and crying out it is true that lovers practices such as reveling singing crowning the door with garlands have a kind of alleviation in them which is neither rude nor unpleasing coming i asked not who or who she was but kissed her door full sweetly that i wot if this be sin to sin i can but choose so the weeping and lamentation which we permit in mourners doubtless carry forth much of the grief together with the tears 
but anger quite on the contrary is more inflamed by what the angry persons say or do the best course then is for a man to compose himself or else to run away and hide himself and retreat into quiet as into an haven as if he perceived a fit of epilepsy coming on lest he fall or rather fall upon others and truly we do most and most frequently fall upon our friends for we neither love all nor envy all nor fear all men but there is nothing untouched and unset upon by anger we are angry with our foes and with our friends with our own children and our parents nay with the gods above and the very beasts below us and instruments that have no life as thamorus was his horn though bound with gold he break in sire he break his melodious and well-strung lyre and pandarus wishing a curse upon himself if he did not burn his bow first broken by his hands but xerxes dealt blows and marks of his displeasure to the sea itself and sent his letters to the mountain in the style ensuing o thou wretched athos whose top now reaches to the skies i charge thee put not in the way of my works stones too big and difficult to be wrought if thou do i will cut thee into pieces and cast thee into the sea for anger hath many terrible effects and many also that are ridiculous and therefore of all passions this of anger is most hated and most contemned and it is good to consider it in both respects i therefore whether rightly or not i know not began this cure with learning the nature of anger by beholding it in other men as the lacedaemonians learned what drunkenness was by seeing it in the helots and in the first place as hippocrates said that that was the most dangerous disease which made the sick man's countenance most unlike to what it was so i observed that men transported with anger also exceedingly change their visage color gait and voice accordingly i formed a kind of image of that passion to myself withal conceiving great indignation against myself if i should at any time appear to my friends or to my wife and daughters so terrible and discomposed not only with so wild and strange a look but also with so fierce and harsh a voice as i had met with in some others of my acquaintance who by reason of anger were not able to observe either good manners or countenance or graceful speech or even their persuasiveness and affability in conversation wherefore caius gracchus the orator being of a rugged disposition and a passionate kind of speaker had a pipe made for him such as musicians use to vary their voice higher or lower by degrees 
and with this pipe his servant stood behind him while he pronounced and gave him a mild and gentle note whereby he took him down from his loudness and took off the harshness and angriness of his voice assuaging and charming the anger of the orator as their shrill wax-joined reed who herds do keep sounds forth sweet measures which invite to sleep for my own part had i a careful and pleasant companion who would show me my angry face in a glass i should not at all take it ill in like manner some are wont to have a looking-glass held to them after they have bathed though to little purpose but to behold one's self unnaturally disguised and disordered will conduce not a little to the impeachment of anger for those who delight in pleasant fables tell us that minerva herself playing on a pipe was thus admonished by a satyr that look becomes you not lay down your pipes and take your arms and set your cheeks to rights but would not regard it yet when by chance she beheld the mean of her countenance in a river she was moved with indignation and cast her pipes away and yet here art had the delight of melody to comfort her for the deformity and marsyas as it seems did with a kind of muzzle and mouthpiece restrained by force the too horrible eruption of his breath when he played and so corrected and concealed the distortion of his visage with shining gold he girt his temples rough and his wide mouth with thongs that tied behind now anger doth swell and puff up the countenance very indecently and sends forth a yet more indecent and unpleasant voice moving the heart-strings which should be at rest for when the sea is tossed and troubled with winds and casts up moss and seaweed they say it is purged but those impure bitter and vain words which anger throws up when the soul has become a kind of whirlpool defile the speakers in the first place and fill them with dishonor arguing them to have always had such things in them and to be full of them only now they are discovered to have them by their anger so for a mere word the lightest of things as plato says they undergo the heaviest of punishments being ever after accounted enemies evil speakers and of a malignant disposition while now i see all this and bear it in mind the thought occurs to me and i naturally consider by myself that as it is good for one in a fever so much better is it for one in anger to have his tongue soft and smooth for if the tongue in a fever be unnaturally affected it is indeed an evil symptom but not a cause of harm but when the tongue of angry men becomes rough and foul and breaks out into absurd speeches it produces insults which work irreconcilable hatred 
and proves that a poisonous malevolence lies festering within for wine does not make men vent anything so impure and odious as anger doth and besides what proceeds from wine is matter for jest and laughter but that from anger is mixed with gall and bitterness and he that is silent in his cups is counted a burthen and a bore to the company whereas in anger there is nothing more commended than peace and silence as sappho adviseth when anger once is spread within thy breast shut up thy tongue that vainly barking beast nor doth the constant observation of ourselves in anger minister these things only to our consideration but it also gives us to understand another natural property of anger how disingenuous and unmanly a thing it is and how far from true wisdom and greatness of mind yet the vulgar account the angry man's turbulence to be his activity his loud threats to argue boldness and his refractoriness strength as also some mistake his cruelty for an undertaking of great matters his implacableness for a firmness of resolution and his morosity for an hatred of that which is evil for in truth both the deeds and motions and the whole mean of angry men do accuse them of much littleness and infirmity not only when they vex little children scold silly women and think dogs and horses and asses worthy of their anger and deserving to be punished as tessaphon the pancratiast who vouchsafed to kick the ass that had kicked him first but even in their tyrannical slaughters their mean-spiritedness appearing in their bitterness and their suffering exhibited outwardly in their actions are but like to the biting of serpents who when they themselves become burnt and full of pain violently thrust the venom that inflames them from themselves into those that have hurt them for as a great blow causes a great swelling in the flesh so in the softest souls the giving way to a passion for hurting others like a stroke on the soul doth make it to swell with anger and all the more the greater is its weakness for this cause it is that women are more apt to be angry than men are and sick persons than the healthful and old men than those who are in their perfect age and strength and men in misery than such as prosper for the covetous man is most prone to be angry with his steward the glutton with his cook the jealous man with his wife the vainglorious person with him that speaks ill of him but of all men there are none so exceedingly disposed to be angry as those who are ambitious of honor and affect to carry on a faction in a city which according to pindar is but a splendid vexation in like manner from the great grief and suffering of the soul through weakness especially there ariseth anger 
which is not like the nerves of the soul as one spake but like its straining and convulsive motions when it vehemently stirs itself up in its desires and endeavors of revenge indeed such evil examples as these afford us speculations which are necessary though not pleasant but now from those who have carried themselves mildly and gently in their anger i shall present you with most excellent sayings and beautiful contemplations and i begin to contemn such as say you have wronged a man indeed and is a man to bear this stamp on his neck tread him down in the dirt and such like provoking speeches whereby some do very unhandsomely translate and remove anger from the women's to the men's apartment for fortitude which in other respects agrees with justice seems only to disagree in respect of mildness which she claims as more properly her own for it sometimes befalls even worser men to bear rule over those who are better than themselves but to erect a trophy in the soul against anger which heraclitus says it is an hard thing to fight against because whatever it resolves to have it buys at no less a price than the soul itself is that which none but a great and victorious power is able to achieve since that alone can bind and curb the passions by its decrees as with nerves and tendons wherefore i always strive to collect and read not only the sayings and deeds of philosophers who wise men say had no gall in them but especially those of kings and tyrants of this sort was the saying of antigonus to his soldiers when as some were reviling him near his tent supposing that he had not heard them he stretched his staff out of the tent and said what will you not stand somewhere farther off while you revile me so was that of arcadio the achaean who was ever speaking ill of philip exhorting men to flee till they should come where none would philip know when afterwards by some accident he appeared in macedonia philip's friends were of opinion that he ought not to be suffered but be punished but philip meeting him and speaking courteously to him and then sending him gifts particularly such as were wont to be given to strangers bade him learn for the time to come what to speak of him to the greeks and when all testified that the man was become a great praiser of philip even to admiration you see said philip i am a better physician than you and when he had been reproached at the olympic solemnities and some said it was fit to make the grecians smart and rue it for reviling philip who had dealt well with them what then said he will they do if i make them smart those things also which pisistratus did to thrasybulus and porcina to mutius were bravely done 
and so was that of magus to philemon for having been by him exposed to laughter in a comedy on the public stage in these words magus the king hath sent thee letters unhappy magus thou dost know no letters and having taken philemon as he was by a tempest cast on shore at peritoneum he commanded a soldier only to touch his neck with his naked sword and to go quietly away and then having sent him a ball and hucklebones as if he were a child that wanted understanding he dismissed him ptolemy was once jeering a grammarian for his want of learning and asked him who was the father of peleus i will answer you quoth he if you will tell me first who was the father of lagus this jeer gave the king a rub for the obscurity of his birth whereat all were moved with indignation as a thing not to be endured but said ptolemy if it is not fit for a king to be jeered then no more is it fit for him to jeer others but alexander was more severe than he was wont in his carriage towards callisthenes and clytus wherefore porus being taken captive by him desired him to treat him like a king and when alexander asked him if he desired no more he answered when i say like a king i have comprised all and hence it is that they call the king of the gods meolicius while the athenians i think call him meamactes but the office of punishing they ascribe to the furies and evil genii never giving it the epithet of divine or heavenly end of section five part one recording by lucretia b